Welcome to Reading to Kids podcast. I'm your host, Jenna. And I'm your host, Peyton. And we're here to read to you or with you. We know that sometimes moms and dads don't always have the time or the motivation to read to their kids each night, and we know how important it is. So, on those nights that you're not in the mood, we're going to do it for you. Can't wait to read with you. Good job, Peyton. High five. Gosh, you guys, it's 10 o'clock. It's 10 08, and we're like so tired. But today is my late night, and we're being tough. And we had to go stupid grocery store shopping and make stupid dinner and prep for stupid lunches, right? Ugh. How come I wasn't responsible and did it yesterday? I don't know. Not my problem. No, it is your problem because it's 10 08 and we're reading. It is inadvertently your problem. Yeah, but it's Sorry. kind of also basically yours, mm-hmm. too, because you're the one who caused it. True. I was having fun yesterday. It was Mother's Day. Was I supposed to slave away? Sleep in. Yeah, I know. That's what I said. Okay. Look away, look away. Sleep? Sleep? book three actually it says book the third the wide window chapter three there is a way of looking at life called keep thing keeping things in perspective this simply means making yourself feel better by comparing the things that are happening to you right now against other things that have been happening at a different time to other people For instance, if you are upset about an ugly pimple at the end of your nose, you might try and feel better by keeping your pimple in perspective. You might compare your pimple situation to that of someone who is being eaten by a bear. And when you look in the mirror at your ugly pimple, you could say to yourself, well, at least I'm not being eaten by a bear. That that is true. That's a good perspective, right? It's all about perspective. You can say, you can see it at once why keeping things in perspective rarely works very well because it's hard to concentrate on somebody else who's being eaten by a bear when you're staring at your ugly pimple. So it was with the Baudelaire orphans and the days that followed in the mornings when the children joined Aunt Josephine for breakfast of a half orange and an untoasted bread, Violet thought to herself, well, At least we're not being forced to cook Count Olaf's disgusting theater troupe. In the afternoon, when Aunt Josephine would take them to the library to teach them about grammar, Klaus thought to himself, well, at least Count Olaf isn't about to whisk us away to Peru. And in the evening, when the children join, it sounds like you're you're taking a tinkle. She's pouring her two water bottles together. (laughs) In the afternoon, when Aunt Josephine would take them to the library and teach them all about grammar, Klaus thought to himself, oh, I already read that part. And in the evening, when the children joined Aunt Josephine for dinner for an orange juice and an untoasted bread, probably because she's afraid of the toaster, Sunny thought to herself, Zach's, which meant something along the lines of, well, at least this isn't a sign that Count Olaf is anywhere. But no matter how much these three siblings compared their lives with Aunt Josephine to the miserable things that happened to them before, They couldn't help but be dissatisfied with their circumstances. In their free time, 
Violet was disma- would dismantle the gears and switches of the model train sets, hoping to invent something that could prepare hot food without frightening Aunt Josephine. But she couldn't help wishing that Aunt Josephine would simply turn on the stove. Klaus would sit in the chairs in the library with his feet on a footstool, reading about grammar until the sun went down. But when he looked at the gloomy lake, he couldn't help but wishing that they were still living with Uncle Monty and all of his reptiles. And Sunny would take the time out of her schedule and bite the head of Pretty Penny. But she couldn't help but wishing that her parents were still alive and that she and her siblings were safe and sound at the Baudelaire home. Aunt Josephine did not like to leave the house very much because there were so many things outside that frightened her. But one day the children told her that the cab driver had said about a hurricane Herman approaching and she agreed to take them in town in order to buy groceries. Aunt Josephine was afraid to drive the automobiles because the door might get stuck leaving her trapped inside. So they walked the long way down the hill. By the time the Baudelaire's reached the market for their le- their legs were sore from the walk. How come they would leave kids with somebody like that? I don't... Because it's their aunt. It's not. Yes, Remember it's- she was like married to somebody that was part of their family. Yeah? Aunt Josephine. I know, yeah. But, like, she's afraid of everything. It, it inhibits her from being a proper parent. Just my opinion. Yeah, their uncle that died. Um, yeah. I, is it already read that where he died? Nope, not yet. Not yet. Can I say? I thought he was, like, eaten by um, something in the leeches. lake, right? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe it did say that. Because he didn't eat... Because yeah. he ate after... Oh, yeah, 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 that's right. He didn't wait a full hour. He only waited yeah. 45 minutes and leeches ate him because he could smell the food. Yeah. Are you sure that that won't let us... That you won't let us cook for you, Violet asked, and Josephine reached out to the barrels of limes. When we lived with Count Olaf, we learned how to make Putinesca sauce. It was quite easy and perfectly safe. Aunt Josephine shook her head. It is my responsibility as your caretaker to cook for you. And I am eager to try this recipe of cold lime stew. Count Olaf certainly does sound evil. Imagine forcing children to stand near a stove. He was very cruel to us, Klaus agreed, <laughs> adding that being forced to cook had been the least of their problems. But when they Staying lived with Count <laughs> when they lived with Count Olaf, sometimes I still have nightmares about the terrible tattoo on his ankle. It always scares me. Aunt Josephine frowned and patted her bun. I'm afraid you must. You made a grammatical mistake, Klaus, she said sternly. When you said it always scared me, you you sounded as if you meant his ankle always scared you, but you meant his tattoo. You should have said the tattoo always scared me. Do you understand? Oh, gosh. Yeah, I understand, Klaus said, sighing. Thank you for pointing that out, Aunt Josephine. Niku, Sunny snickered, which probably meant something like, it wasn't very nice to point out Klaus's grammatical mistake when he was talking about something that upset him. Okay, I have my tea right by you. Don't, don't, something grump. Okay. No, no, Sunny, Aunt Josephine said firmly, looking up from her shopping list. Niku isn't a word. Remember what we said about using correct English. Now, Violet, would you please get some cucumbers? I thought I would make a chilled cucumber soup again sometime next week. Violet groaned inwardly. A phrase here which means said nothing but felt disappointment of the prospect of another chilly dinner. 
But she smiled at Aunt Josephine and headed down to the aisle in the market in search of cucumbers. She looked wistfully at the delicious food on the shelves that required turning on a stove in order to prepare it. Violet hoped that someday that she could cook a nice hot meal for Aunt Josephine and her siblings using the invention she was working on in the metal, on, with the model and train engine. For a few minutes, she was so lost in her invention thoughts that she didn't look where she was going until she walked right into someone. Excuse me, Violet started to say, but when she looked up, she couldn't stand, finish her sentence. There to the stood a, thaw, a tall, thin man with a blue sailor hat on his head and black eye patch covering his left eye. He was smiling eagerly down at her as if she were brightly wrapped reading in a birthday dogs. present. Yep, reading with dogs. Oh, my God. Presents that he couldn't wait to rip open. His fingers were long and bony, and he was leaning awkwardly to one side. But, but... A bit like Aunt Josephine's house dangling over the hill. When Violet looked down... Oh, oh. When Violet looked down... It's a... No. Ah, pause. Hold on, guys. Nope. Look at that. With the magic of pause, we're back. Uh, okay. Excuse me. Where were we? Smiling eagerly down like a brightly wrapped birthday present that he couldn't rip up and his fingers were long and bony like he was leaning awkwardly to one side a bit like aunt josephine's house dangling over the hill when violet looked down she saw why there was a thick stump wooden leg where his left leg should have been almost like people with peg legs this man was leaning on his good leg which caused him to tilt but even, to Vi- even though Violet had never seen anyone with a peg leg before, this was, n- was not why she couldn't finish her sentence. The reason why she had to do with something she had seen before, the bright, bright sun in one ma- shine in one man's eye, or the, man one, the man's one eye and above it just one long eyebrow. When someone is in disguise... And the disguise is not very good. One can describe a transparent disguise. But this does not mean that the person is wearing a plastic wrap or glass or anything else transparent. It merely means that the people can see through his disguise. That is, the disguise that doesn't fool them for a minute. Violet wasn't fooled even for a second as she stood staring at the man that she'd walk into. She knew at once Count Olaf. It was Count Olaf. Violet, what are you doing in this aisle? And Josephine said, walking up behind her. This aisle contained food that needed to be heated. And you know, when she saw Count Olaf, she stopped speaking. And for a second, Violet thought that Aunt Josephine had recognized him too. But then Aunt Josephine smiled and Violet's hopes were dashed. A word which here means shattered. Hello, Count Olaf said, smiling at Josephine. I was just apologizing for running into your sister here. Aunt Josephine's face grew bright red, seeming even bright under her white hair. Uh Oh, even brighter under her white hair. Oh, no, she said as Klaus and Sunny came down the aisle to see what the fuss was about. Violet is not my sister. I am her legal guardian. Count Olaf clasped one of his hands over his face of Aunt Josephine, if Aunt Joseph, as if Aunt Josephine had just told her that she was the tooth fairy. I cannot believe it, he said. Madam, you don't look nearly old enough to be anyone's guardian. 
Aunt Josephine blushed again. Well, sir, I have lived by the lake my whole life, and some people have told me that it keeps me looking youthful. I would be happy to have the acquaintance of a local personage, Count Olaf said, tipping his blue sailor hat and using a silly word here which means person. I am new to this town and beginning a new business, so I am eager to make new acquaintances. Allow me to introduce myself. Klaus and I are happy to introduce you, Violet said with a more with more bravery than I would have ever had if faced with meeting Count Olaf again. Aunt Josephine, this is Count... No, no, Violet, Aunt Josephine interrupted. Watch your grammar. You should have said Klaus and I will be happy to introduce you because you haven't introduced us yet. But Violet started to say, Now, Veronica, Count Olaf said, his one eye shining brightly as he looked down at her, Your guardian is right, and before you make any other mistakes, allow me to introduce myself. My name is Captain Sham, and I have a new business renting sailboats out to domic- at domicils. How do you say that word? Democles? It's this, Democles Dock. Do you remember from the movie? We're just called Damocles. Oh, no, no, it's Damocles. Okay. Damocles? No, it's not. I think it's Damocles. Now I think you're just making it up. No, I... What, what, how do you say it? Damocles. Damocles, okay. Damocles, Doc. I'm happy to make your acquaintance, Miss. I am Josephine Anne Whistle, Aunt Josephine said. And these are... This is... These are Violet, Klaus, and little Sonny Baudelaire. <gasps> little Sonny, Captain Sham repeated, sounding as if he were eating Sonny rather than greeting her. It's a pleasure to meet all of you. Perhaps someday I can take you out on the lake for a little boat ride. Ging, Sonny shrieked, which probably meant something like, I'd rather eat dirt. We're not going anywhere with you, Klaus said. Aunt Josephine blushed again and looked sharply at the children. The children seem to have forgotten their manners as well as their grammars. Please apologize to Captain Sham at once. He's not Captain Sham, Violet said impatiently. He's Count Olaf. Aunt Josephine gasped and looked from the an- at the anxious faces of the Baudelaire's. He, uh, oh, sorry, I lost my train of, my, I lost my place. Josephine grasped, blah, 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 blah. Aunt Josephine gasped and looked from the anxious faces, faces of the Baudelaire's to the calm face of Captain Sham. He had a grin on his face, but his smile slipped a notch, a phrase which means grown less confident as he waited to see if Aunt Josephine really realized he was really Count Olaf in disguise. Aunt Josephine looked him over with, from head to toe, and then frowned. Mr. Poe told me that to be on the watch for Count Olaf, she said finally, but he did also say, that you children tended to see him everywhere. We see him everywhere, Klaus said, tiredly, because he is everywhere. Who is this Count Olaf person, Captain Sham asked. Oh, Count Olaf, Aunt Josephine said, is a terrible man who is standing right in front of us, Violet's finished. I don't care about what he calls himself. He has the same shiny eyes and that same single eyebrow. But plenty of people have those characteristics, Aunt Josephine said. Why, my mother-in-law had only one eyebrow, but also only one ear. The tattoo, Klaus said. Look for the tattoo. Count Olaf has a tattoo of an eye on his left ankle. 
Captain Sham sighed with difficulty and lifted his peg leg so that everybody could get a clear look at it. It was made of dark wood that was polished to a shine as brightly as his eye, and attached to his left knee was a curved metal hinge. But I don't even have a left ankle, he said in a whiny voice. It was chewed away by the lacrimose leeches. Aunt Josephine's eyes welled up, and she placed a hand on Captain Sham's shoulder. Oh, you poor man. I thought he said he was new here. On, on the po- Oh, you poor man, she said, and the children knew at once that they were doomed. Oh, he could have gone first. Yeah, but his legs already healed enough to walk. He said it was brand new here. Doesn't make any sense. Um, Violet tried one more time, knowing it would probably be, be futile. Fut- oh, gosh. Honestly, I need to go back to school. Futile? Futile? <laughs> futile? A word here which means filled with futility. He's not Captain Sham, she said. He's, you don't think he would allow the lacrose monster leeches to chew off his leg, Aunt Josephine said, just to play a prank on you? Tell us, Captain Sham, tell us how it happened. Well, I was sitting on my boat just a few weeks ago, Captain Sham said. I was eating some pasta with puttanesca sauce, and I spilled some on my leg. Before I knew it, the leeches were attacking. Did that actually happen? Um, I don't think, no. He didn't lose his leg in the other parts of the movie? How does he? No, he did. No, and, yeah. He did lose. Okay, maybe that actually happened. And that's just how it happened with my husband, Aunt Josephine said, biting her lip. The Baudelaire's, all three of them, clenched their fists oh, in frustration. Mm-hmm. Yeah. They knew that Captain Sham's story about the Putinesca sauce was a phone, as phony as his name, but they couldn't prove it. Why didn't she say, yeah, Putinesca, like the sauce they told you he made us make? Right? Here, Captain Sham said, smiling, putting a small card out of his pocket and handing it to Aunt Josephine. Take my business card, and next time you're in town, perhaps we can enjoy a cup of tea. That sounds delightful, well, and Josephine said. Either way, if he didn't spell it, mm-hmm. he still would have gotten Ian because it doesn't matter if it's closed or not. It mm-hmm. just has to be food. Yeah, that's true. That sounds delightful, she said, reading his card. Captain Shan's sailboats. Every boat has its own sail. Oh, Captain, you have made a very serious grammatical error. Here. What? Captain Sham said, raising his eyebrow. This card says it's with an apostrophe. I-T apostrophe S mean it is. And you don't mean every boat has it is on sale. <laughs> it simply means it's belong- belonging to it. I-T-S. It's a very common mistake, Captain Sham, but a dreadful one. Captain Sham's face darkened and it looked for a minute like he was going to raise his peg leg and kick Aunt Josephine with all of his might. But then he smiled It's and his face cleared. Thank you for pointing that out, he said finally. Oh, you're welcome, Aunt Josephine said. Come, children, it's time to pay for our groceries. I hope to see you soon, Captain Sham. Captain Sham smiled and waved goodbye, but the Baudelaire's watched him, watched as he, as his smile turned to a sneer, as soon as Josephine had turned her back, he had fooled her, and there was nothing the Baudelaire's could do about it. They spent the rest of the afternoon trudging back up the hill, carrying their groceries. But the heaviness of the cucumbers and limes was nothing compared to the heaviness of the orphans' hearts all the way up the hill. 
Aunt Josephine talked about Captain Sham and what a nice man he was and how she hoped very much to see him again, while the children knew that he was really Count Olaf, a terrible man, and hoped that they would never see him for the rest of their lives. There was an expression that, I am sad to say, is appropriate for this part of the story. The expression, falling for someone, something hook, line, and sinker, and it comes from the world of fishing. The hook, the line, and the sinker are all parts of the fishing rod, and they work together to lure a fish out of the ocean to their doom. If somebody is falling for someone, hook, line, and sinker, they are believing a bunch of lies and might find themselves doomed as a result. Aunt Josephine was falling for Captain Sham's lies, hook, line, and sinker. But it was Violet, Klaus, and Sunny who were feeling doomed. As they walked up the hill in silence, the children looked down at Lake Lacrimose and felt a chill of doom fall over their hearts. It made the three siblings cold and lost, feel cold and lost as if they were not simply looking at the shadowy lake, but had been dropped in the middle of its depths. Are you going to bed? Hey, she didn't fall asleep on us. Crazy. Cool. High five. You rock. I wonder how many um, books um, uh, um, Haley's read. Probably all of them, huh? Oh my god. She's probably on like the seventh. Dude, do you hear Oreo snoring? Okay, I think, are we, are we on the end of that book? Yeah, no. Okay, that is impressive. Is that upstairs or right outside your door? Oh my god. That's impressive. All right, Uh, see you next time. Say, say, see ya. See ya.